My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Today, I would like to discuss the concept of work. More to the point, the most expeditious approach to one's job, whatever that employment may be. You see, not all of us are lucky enough to work the farm like I do. No, there's folks that labor in the factory, wait tables at the Shoney's, fix pickups at the garage, or even spend their day moving papers at a desk. But the secret to success at any of these endeavors is to approach one's duties with the same intensity and dedication with which yours truly attends to his labors at the plow. That's right, my friends. If you cannot be a farmer, you can still work like a farmer. I'll give you a for instance. Just the other day, I visited the seed cooperative to freshen up my supply of MG4. That means soybeans to the uninitiated. Well, sir, I'm greeted by a young assistant, just a boy, really, sitting behind a big metal desk. Fair enough. I think young men belong in the field, learning to till the earth and all the valuable lessons inherent in such. But apparently this lad had chosen a different path. All right. We can't all be Farmer Gray. But what do I see taking up real estate on his fancy escritoire? I see a whole passel of plastic figurines, each with a little body and comically large head, and each in the likeness of a popular sports figure of today or yesteryear. A display that summoned up an air of frivolity, one in direct contradiction to the serious intent of a seed cooperative. Now then, son, says I to the boy, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that when I, your faithful customer, labors in the earth. I have little sports figures hanging from my plow. The young fellow blinked like a dullard and said, I don't rightly know. Well, sir, replies I, I don't. And let me ask you another question. When our great president, Mr. Donald J. Trump, sits down at his big desk in the Oval Office of the United States, the so-called Resolute Desk, do you think there are tiny baseball players blocking his view of diplomats and governors and heads of state? Again, he blinks and says, I don't rightly know that either. To which I replied, Well, son... He does not. So let me ask you one more thing. Think ye that you, an assistant clerk at a solemn and vital enterprise like the seed cooperative, 
should display such gewgaws as those when there is serious business to attend to? And at last the dim bulb inside his head seemed to flash on, for this time he looked just a little bit ashamed and said, I reckon, I reckon not. Well now, thinks I, we have made progress. That's right, boy, says I. I reckon not. All that was left now was to put realization into action. So I fetched an aluminum waste can sitting nearby and held its mouth level with the top of the boy's desk. I think you know what you must do, said I, as the young man gazed sadly into the gaping maw of the can. Yes, sir, said he and he drew back his arm as if to sweep the entire army of figurines into the trash as one. But I stopped him, and right quick, too, saying, No, son, that's not how you must do it. They must be disposed of one at a time. One at a time. The young fellow looked near tears, but... To his good credit, he followed through on my decree. Twelve figures had decorated his desk, and twelve times did the sound of plastic striking metals resound through the room as each gigaw found its home at the bottom of the waste basket. When the job was done, the top of that boy's desk looked as flat and empty as a prairie field after a snow. Now that, I says to the lad, is a desk fit for a president or a farmer. Yes, sir. We are, dear friends, too reliant on technology, and that can mean big trouble, particularly when one's deep state enemies sit poised to invent an accusation of constitutional abrogation. Or so our great president, Mr. Donald Trump, discovered when he put in a call to Ukraine. Now, this whole impeachment nonsense, that's all been done and dusted. But even now, the American people remain unapprised regarding the true nature of that fateful conversation between our great-hearted commander-in-chief and the leader of that besieged Eastern European Republic. See, Mr. Trump, He had two concerns on his mind that day in July when he picked up the telephone and, with no reversal of charges, called long-distance the Ukrainian president, surname Zelensky. Now, as was his custom, the third world leader, having once trafficked in drollery as a professional farceur, answered the telephone with a cheery, President Zelensky, and no, I can't believe it either. Oh, Vladimir, says President Trump, that always hands me a laugh. My very intention, says Zelensky, and how nice to hear your voice. I was just sitting round with my cabinet ministers, juggling bowling pins and swapping jokes, but none of them can deliver a gag like me. I don't doubt that, says our president, but I've got a couple serious matters to discuss. Sure thing, says Zelensky. But a serious matter deserves a serious bicycle horn. 
And Mr. Trump heard two beeps as the Ukrainian president gave the horn a double squeeze. But he's a patient man, our commander-in-chief, and did not admonish his counterpart for such puerility. You're quite the card, Vladimir, says the president, and I'd cacinate at your didos had we not urgent matters to discuss. You see, we do a lot for Ukraine. We spend a lot of effort and a lot of time, much more than the European countries are doing, and they should be helping you more than they are. Yep, that's a direct quote from Mr. Trump himself, and quite true indeed. But then he says, he says, Even so, Vladimir, since Europe won't step up, I'm going to make sure you get even more money from the United States. I'm going to send you a billion dollars. That's right, Vladimir, a billion dollars and no strings attached. Well, okay, just one condition, that you vanquish those rusky hordes tutti sweet. Trouble is, folks, when our president said that whole thing about the billion dollars, no strings appended, well, like I said about technology, it can't be relied upon. For the phone connection, it cut out at that very moment, see? Went dead for a few seconds, so nobody heard it. They didn't even hear the president say, I may have to hold up the $400 million while I convince those skinflints in Congress to pony up the extra cash. So don't worry if the original paltry sum doesn't come in on schedule, because you're due for a windfall. And when the phone came back up again, our commander-in-chief was already on to another topic. The other thing he says, there's a lot of talk about Biden. Okay, says Zelensky, but first a knock-knock joke. Knock-knock. Mr. Trump rolled his eyes. Could this jester never stick to the topic? Uh, okay, says our president. Who's there? Europe, says Zelensky. Europe who, says Donald Trump. I'm a poo, says Zelensky. The commander-in-chief couldn't help but chuckle despite himself, for that Vladimir he'd sure put one over on him. Anyway, says our wise shepherd, I wanted to talk about this Biden situation. You see, and wouldn't you know it, dear listeners, that bulky phone cut out again, just as the president says, I worry that Hunter Biden, son of erstwhile Vice President Joseph Biden, has bought himself a peck of trouble. He's a good boy, but naive, and now finds himself entangled in the tentacles of a Ukrainian energy company. Served on the board till a few months ago, and I pother that this fair-cheeked innocent is still under the sway of the swarthy men that ran this suspect enterprise. I must protect the lad, as a father would a son, more than his own father, who wouldn't allow the men who had his boy under their thumb to be prosecuted, who... And then, ladies and gentlemen, the phone connection was restored, just in time to hear Mr. Trump say, went around bragging that he stopped the prosecution. So if you can look into it... Sorry, says Zelensky, I was just squirting my Minister of Communities and Territories Development with a seltzer bottle. What were you saying? I said, replied the President, I need to hold up the $400 million while... Oops, there went that phone again, as Mr. Trump continued. I try to get you even more money, and I ask that phone connection back again. You investigate the Hunter Biden situation. Are we clear? 
Yes, says Zelensky, you're holding up $400 million until I investigate Hunter Biden. And technology, technology, once more the phone cut out as our president said, no, no, one thing has nothing to do with the other. A good Baptist like myself would never supplicate a quid pro quo. But by the time the connection was restored, Zelensky was entertaining his cabinet with with ribald limericks. So Mr. Trump decided to end the call, figuring that it was just a minor misunderstanding and nothing much would come of it. He just didn't reckon with the Democrat junta and their untiring, albeit fruitless, campaign against him. No, sir. Foreign nations, or more specifically, U.S. citizens who visit foreign nations. That's what I wish to address today. Now, I am a farmer, and the concept of a vacation, a fortnight's respite from my labors at the plow, is incompatible with my agrarian work ethic. But were I to abandon the fields for a frivolous interregnum, you can rest assured that I would not stray beyond the borders of our great nation. For our riches are infinite, and not even a lifetime of travel through the lower 48 could exhaust their historical and geographic bounty. But there are those who are not satisfied with these uniquely American treasures. No, sir. They long for the dubious pleasures of international travel, to cross borders, to cross oceans, to be jet-setters, to use the vernacular of those struck by the wanderlust. But Farmer Gray, you ask, what objection could you have to a brief intercontinental sojourn? My disapprobation, friends, is just this, the danger, the danger that these would-be internationalists will leave our borders as Americans but return under the influence of a foreign power with socialist leanings and anti-capitalist inclinations. And I refer, ladies and gentlemen, to all foreign travel, not just to the depths of Eastern Europe, home to witchcraft and vampires, nor to those nations where hoodoo prevails, but even to our neighbor to the north, that Canada, where medicine is socialized, marijuana is legal, and French is spoken. Let's not forget the United Kingdom, either, where color is spelled with a superfluous U. C-O-L-O-U-R. Who ever heard of such a thing? How, then, to attend to this hazardous exigency? Well, sir, here's what old Farmer Gray proposes. For those impelled to go where only a passport can take them, a return to citizenship exam. That's right. A test administered by the U.S. consulate prior to their return to the United States to reestablish their bona fides as true Americans. A series of questions that must be answered before a traveler sets foot back in the homeland. Queries such as, what are the branches of government, the state capitals, the name of your district representative, the author of the Declaration of Independence, the original 13 states, the longest American river, how do you spell color, for gosh sakes? Answer correctly, and the nation welcomes you back with open arms. Answer incorrectly, and your fancy vacation is extended indefinitely, comrade. 
Enact said legislation, and I can assure you, traffic to the Grand Canyon will surge, and lines at the passport office will dwindle. Yes, sir. Play me out, Zeke. (laughs) 